Welcome to At The Counter, the show that takes the conversations had at the counter of your local comic book store and brings them to the internet. And for the record, we're, we're sorry. sorry. I'm Marcus Antea. And I'm Christian Kenty. We're coming to you from the Frugal Dutchman, a kind of nerdvana here in lovely Ridgeway, Ontario. It's a comic book, action figure, gaming, antique, and all-around nifty store. I'm a random customer who's a big nerd from way back. And I'm the store owner. And we've been having these conversations for years with other people dropping in and out to add points, and we've decided to share them with you. So take a trip with us down the nerdy rabbit hole to overhear the conversations that happen at, at the, the counter. counter. All right, so we're coming up with the second half of our 80s toys extravaganza because there were a lot of toys in the 80s. That's right. Get your parachute pants, grab your bedazzler. We're talking about toys from the 80s. So we're, we're starting out with the, the Skip It. We'll start off with the Skip It. The Skip It was, as everybody knows, the Skip It was just a thing with a counter that you were doing already anyways. Yeah, it, it really was. And it's funny to see how that's developed into something now that, you know, the, what is it, the step counter that everybody has or their... Uh, oh, I hadn't even put that yeah, together. That's, it's the same same technology. It's just, uh, what is it, uh, what the heck is it called? Uh, accelerometer. Accelerometer, thank you. That just, it bounces up and down yeah. and keeps account of every step you take. That's how it works, folks. So basically that, it was That just, thing you have on your arm that you paid hundreds of dollars for, you could have bought a Skip It. It's just... <laughs> Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, which I can't imagine anyone does, it was a ball with a roller and a counter in it on the end of a string that uh, wrapped around your ankle, and you would whip it around your ankle in a circle and try not to get it caught on your other foot. The number of revolutions around your body, that was how many you had, and you could try and get your other friends to uh, match it. Now, the... The original version of this, did it actually have a rope? Because the one I remember had more, it not, I don't want to say solid, because it wasn't solid, it was a bendable piece of plastic, but it, yeah, was, it was a long piece of plastic. Rope rope was a operative word. I, I okay, I, I wasn't sure if yeah, the original was, version well, was something all, I just hadn't all seen. All the skipping ropes were pl- that same yeah, were kind that, of plastic, uh, so, yeah, it's a and I still call them a skipping plastic, rope. Yeah, right? it calls, still calls skipping rope, okay. so. I wasn't sure if there was something I hadn't seen. <clears> no, no, all. The, all right. I mean, for sure, cool. prototypes used rope, but. Whatever. Probably, yeah. So, yeah, it was just a way... The 80s, everything was made out of plastic. (laughs) It was a way to get you uh, in competition with your friends for a little bit of fitness, maybe. Yeah. I always had the problem because as a kid, I had big feet. Yeah, I couldn't get the feet through the I couldn't get my foot through it. You had to bend the thing really weird. And and then if you got it on, recess ended, and you were stuck. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you know what's not on here that I've just realized? What's that? Big wheels are not on here. Oh man, how are big wheels not on this list? That's that's pre nineteen eighty though. No, it is not. Isn't it? No, it is not. It came out in the eighties because I was an eighties kid. I thought the big wheel Early was a sixties thing. No. All right. <laughs> Even if the big wheel was slightly earlier, I'll the... suspend disbelief on that one. <laughs> well, we can look it up later. Um, no, you're probably right. But when I was a kid, well, maybe it was seven, maybe it was late seventies. Because I was a kid, we had big wheels. Yeah. And then the 80s is when the green machine showed up. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's definitely yeah. 80s. Yeah, early 80s, definitely but definitely 80s. 80s. But they're not on this list, which is crazy. Because do you know how many big wheels we went yeah. through? By We're putting big wheel on the list. We're putting big wheel on the list. <laughs> We're talking about it now, because skip it's are boring. <laughs> <clears throat> 
What is it about an above ground pool? It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> two minutes or the commercials for above ground pools. They're 30 seconds because that's as much fun as you can have an above ground pool. Big wheels <laughs> were crazy fun because you could if you could get going fast enough and then you locked your feet, pulled the brake, you could do the emergency turns. But you did very quickly. And we did wear out the plastic tires because the plastic tires weren't rubber. They were hard plastic. Yep. So to get going, the front wheel had a bit of corrugation <laughs> on it, but the back wheels were smooth. So you could do all kinds of slide tricks. And it was a cool thing to have your biker <laughs> gang of big wheel kids going down the road. I may be oh, old. man. <laughs> I love, I love that about certain toys when the, a flaw, a technical flaw in the design actually makes it better. It does. Uh, <laughs> but the problem is eventually you would, by skidding and crazy stuff like that, you just literally friction wore jacked holes the wheels, and dude. jacked the wheels yeah. up. So they were broken and you couldn't get replacement wheels. You had to get an entire new group, uh, big wheel. So unfortunately, now, I've seen people that have made big wheels for adults lately and the green machine for adults, which I really want. Big wheels was a trike that had a plastic back that you could adjust for how long you needed to have your legs to hit the pedals or and it put you remove in, entirely. It put you in chopper position, basically. Yeah, too, it, was, it? it was more, yeah. it was sitting up like a chopper, but the, the um, green machine was more akin to a recumbent bike. Okay. It was like driving a Bobcat digger. Okay. You had two levers, yeah. which turned you left or right, depending on which one you turned. You could go, you yeah. had them straight for forward. You put one up, one down to turn right, one up, one back to turn left. And it was crazy fun. Like that was, and, but only the rich kids had those. So in your group of friends, maybe one kid had one and you all <laughs> had to take turns. But anyways, uh, so big wheels weren't on the list, but bloody well should have. So we added them. All right, moving on. So we're we're onto something that was a craze in its time, and then came back, which is something that very few toys get to boast of. If if they fizzle out, they don't generally come back around. Although we are seeing more and more nostalgia toys now coming back around. Uh, which in this case, we're talking about My Little Pony. Now, My Little Pony was a huge thing in the eighties. Which the original version of it was actually terrible. Nobody liked. Uh, because it wasn't the small little, what are they, four-inch ponies that they had, right? Four or five-inch tall ponies, uh, which had rigid legs, right? The original ones were these big honking mother of ponies, and yeah. they looked like actual horses, right? Ponies, sorry. Was, that was a big rule that Hasbro had about it was you don't call a pony a horse because uh, it's a pony. and it was this, But they were usually brown or spotted black and white or whatever. They looked like actual ponies. Uh, but they were monstrous things, and they were heavy because they were plastic, yep. and they were impossible for kids to play with. Uh, so it got developed down a little bit. Um, they gave them cutesy colors and made them pink and pastel and, and all these things and glittery hair and all that. I'm going to make a assumption because I have no basis of fact of yes. this, but my guess is they made them more like the Care Bears to be able to sell them. I don't know that that was actually a back and forth thing. It was just well, more. Here's, it, well, I mean, you got to remember, eighties was still a point where there were two distinct markets that you were trying to reach. Boys and you girls. You were trying to reach a girls' market or a boys' market, and Mattel had 
uh, had owned a boys' market for a long time, and they were working towards that again. But this was their, or not Mattel, sorry, Hasbro. I'm flipped around. Uh, Hasbro had the boys' market for a long time in the 60s with G.I. Joe. Uh, and at this point, G.I. Joe had fizzled and was starting to make its comeback. And we will... We have talked about G.I. Joe. We have talked about G.I. Joe. Because that's not included in the 80s toys, because technically it's a 1960s toy right. that resurged. Um, but Hasbro was looking for a girls' market at this point. And I'm not sure if there's a connection with the Care Bears with that. It was just a general thing that the cutesy pastelli colors, uh, or which one came first, even. Well, here's why I'm suggesting. I will have to look it up. This is my reasoning behind it. Smaller, more manageable. The colors and the hair play, which made it part Barbie, part Care Bear. Yep. They all had identifying marks on them. Yes. So where and Brave, that's the Braveheart had I'm, the heart. Yeah, that's the point in which I'm saying I'm not sure which would have come first. Yes. Um, so either one did the one or one did the other. Yep. But there's, I, I definitely think there's a correlation. I'm sure there's some sort of, of thing between that. Yeah. Um, um, so they had like the horseshoe stamped on their flank or whatever. Yep. And it became, I, I don't. It I will tell you this right. Weird collectible thing. Too, yeah, I will tell you right now that I have almost zero knowledge of My Little Pony. It was out of my I purview. <laughs> right, but you have it professionally. I didn't have sisters, so I didn't have them in the house. I didn't watch the show because it was past my time when I'd be watching shows like that. No. So I didn't. I don't really know much about it. I've never seen the new reboot stuff. I could probably name one. One because Pinkie Pie is fairly famous meme wise and yeah. other things, and I don't know anything other than that. So I'm out as far as personal knowledge of this stuff. Yeah. So I've got I've got a bit more of an extensive knowledge. Again, I deal with ponies professionally. Is you know I I sell toys and ponies are part of a collectible market, and even a lot of the reboot stuff from Friendship is Magic is desirable. Um, because it's starting to hint on that, you know, that point where it's a bit nostalgic for certain people and the bronies are a real thing. And, um, I am in no way a brony. Uh, I can handle it. <laughs> it's not a desire thing. Uh, it's very tolerable, uh, in its state. But when I look at this stuff from the eighties specifically, I still struggle because in the eighties, the big thing we've talked about before was that everything was about, you know, doing the big three. You had a toy, you had a comic, you had a movie. Or a TV show, sorry. Or a movie. Right? You had some sort of visual media. Ponies was not immune to this. Uh, they tried a few things, but they did really weird things. Because with the ponies, there were some specific rules that Hasbro wanted to follow. It was almost these unspoken rules. You never call a pony a horse, which is fine. Nobody was ever to ride a pony. Uh, in this respect, because they weren't, they were to be treated like people, um, and you wouldn't ride your best friend. So, realistically, and for the most part, it didn't really. There wasn't really any sort of issue with it because in the toys, there were never any children or people. There were just ponies, and there were also um, never saddles. W there were though, it, which was weird because one of the first playsets that My Little Pony put out was a stable, and it had tack with it. Of the big ones or the little ones? The little ones. That's weird. Yeah, the place that they made for it, and that's I believe that's where Spike came in as well, a little baby dragon thing, uh, which is a little out of place in the whole thing, but he became part of the whole... Yeah, it was it was the thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, it was this weird stable with with saddles and things like that. It's like, why do they have saddles? Nobody ever rides these things, right? But then they did a couple of uh, movies, and in one of the movies, there were two little girls, and one of them, or at, at one point in the movie, they're both riding the ponies to get away from some danger thing. The first My Little Pony movie that came out was, uh, I haven't seen it, seen it. I've seen clips of it, but apparently the storyline was super dark. Like they got, I, I think they had film uh, Filmation do it as well. And Filmation was responsible for things like He-Man and uh, I, they did Ninja Turtles, I think as well. The, Filmation did a ton of work on TV yeah, in the 80s. Like Jason uh, and Wheel Wars, yeah, I think there was, was There was a ton and... of stuff, but a lot of what Filmation de- did was, based in dark lore fantasy stuff right um and they didn't really change that up <laughs> for for the ponies is like this is supposed to be a cutesy girly kind of thing oh well the ponies are in danger because evil warlocks and blah, 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 blah. it's like whoa 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 <laughs> um so it was like two hours of scary dark for for little girls in the theater uh so needless to say didn't go over well <laughs> probably not nope <laughs> And so they, so there were some reinventions, and that's where you get into the different generations of pony toys. Uh, and then it comes back around to where it becomes tolerable for me, which is uh, in 2010, they handed the franchise over to a My Little Pony fan, who is also a writer. Uh, her name's Lauren Faust. Uh, I think it's called, it's pronounced Faust. Lauren, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry if I pronounce it wrong. Um and Lauren was big in writing uh, fantasy and things like that. She did a lot of uh, artwork and, and comic. I think she did comic work and stuff like that. And what made it tolerable for me when they did Friendship is Magic is they gave the ponies personalities, which was important, uh, more than just cutesiness. There was storyline involved. There was some pretty deep backstory lore involved with them each. They each had... Uh, again, they had personalities, which I don't think they had before uh, in in the same respect. And one of the first episodes I ever saw was the ponies going up against a Hydra. And I was like, okay, <laughs> my my fantasy nerd's on board here. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> right? And so that kind of got me into the tolerable mood of it. It's like, all right, they deal with D&D stuff. She wrote this like a D&D campaign uh, <laughs> that ponies just go through. And yes, it's cutesy and fun. And, you know, Pinkie Pie's a little crazy. But, um, you know, my kids love the show and, and will watch it. And now there's a new thing that Netflix, I think, has done. And they they gave the ponies the CGI surgery. (laughs) And I don't know if I can handle that one. Yeah. It looks a little too off of what I was okay with to be okay with it. So I haven't dipped my toe yet. Um, But my favorite thing pony-wise and what tells me I know more than I need to about it is, and I, I think I've told you this, was the fact that there's a timeline inconsistency in Black Widow. Um, and I haven't seen multiverse, but I imagine they didn't touch it. Uh, <laughs> my, my sincere hope was that Dr. Strange would just show up and fix it. Um, and that would be an example of a great retcon. If you listen to our last episode, our last one shot, that's a, that would be a beautifully done retcon. Yeah. We screwed this up. <laughs> we can fix that. But Yelena, the first part of black widow is set in 1995. Right. And as they're escaping the country through Cuba, Right, they're run, they're on the run. 
Yelena has a My Little Pony toy with her, but that toy is a stuffy. It's a plush. And it's of Twilight Sparkle as she was. Now, Twilight Sparkle exists in the older ponies, but it was her as she appeared in the remake in 2010. And the style of those ponies is very, very different from what they originally looked like. And I just happened to know, I'm pretty sure that that particular stuffy was a Build-A-Bear thing in like 2011 or 2012 because the show was so popular. <laughs> and so there's this really weird inconsistency in the movie for me. And I'm just waiting for like Doctor Strange to show up in, a, in an end scene credit somewhere and just kind of come through his little magic circle and hand Yelena a pony <laughs> and say, Shh, you didn't see anything <laughs> and disappear just to make it okay. Now um, I have, I have, I doubt anybody at Disney actually ever noticed it. <laughs> I have a friend um, in Toronto who is probably the biggest My Little Pony collector I've ever seen. She has hundreds and she also does mods where you can, Mod little pony. You no, you absolutely can. I've you can mod little ponies to have like skull masks and and Pegasuses to be like cyborg Pegasi and all that kind of thing. That's there's a huge underground thing for modding old my little ponies, like the ones that are beat to crap and don't care. Yeah, you get at the dollars, not the dollar store, but at like at Goodwill and stuff. People get rid of them. They keep the good ones that are pristine, and all the old ones that are beat to hell. You can do whatever you want to them. Well, and that accounts for all of your knockoffs and things too. You can mess around. With oh yeah, absolutely. that's fine. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I don't know if it was My Little Ponies, if it was just some kind of a horse thing that was, but I remember seeing online this uh, look that you've got the horse's tail, and they opened up the horse, and inside was a doll head that had the hair going out through the tail hole oh. because they had they had extras of these heads and they just put them in the horse's butt <laughs> to be a thing because nobody's ever going to open this up. Yeah. And they're like, so yeah, I don't know if it's true or we not. We don't make those assumptions in toys anymore. <laughs> well, I just discovered... If there's a way somebody can mutilate this thing, it's going to happen. I just discovered the other day that slap bracelets are made out of tape measures. <laughs> I was like, that... 100% makes sense, but yeah. why did that never occur to <laughs> me? Didn't, uh, didn't put two but anyways, together on that one. So My Little Pony was huge. Uh, it has a massive resurgence that hasn't stopped, from what I can tell. No, it's, it's, still, a it's still a huge thing. thing. It's it's seeing new iterations, which is interesting. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's longevity on a toy. That's right. what every, every toy maker wants. <laughs> so now we get into fun with chemistry. And that is the glow stick. I was gonna say we already covered the chemistry set that was that was earlier <laughs> so everyone knows what a glow stick is they are ubiquitous they're in the dollar store now they don't have a thing but originally they were just the the block ones that you could snap they were for emergencies you'd break the glass file within the plastic mix the chemicals together and you had a chemical reaction allowed you to see it was a, it was a phosphorescent chemical reaction great for your friendly neighborhood heist or just a saturday night yeah we started using them in pumpkins and i've never used one in a pumpkin oh yeah yeah it's a good idea i just never yeah. think of it and then we got around to doing the bracelets and the they became bracelets and necklaces and then sometime in the mid to late 90s the weird pieces came together so you could make 
figures or glasses. Yeah, or... we always we had ones that you could make into glasses. The ones that we I started seeing, I feel like in the early two thousands, was there was a mouth guard you could put yes, in that you just slipped a little, almost a disc. Which you know, when you're putting something in your mouth that's filled with chemical, you really want it to be easy to swallow. Um. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm going to qualify this as drunken idiocy. <laughs> However, that being said, I didn't personally do this. But we were at an event, and they realized if you took the big ones, you broke them and shook them up, then cut a hole in the end and splashed it over top of your cloak, because we were at a medieval thing, they would glow like there were stars on it, because the chemical was continuing to glow. Mm-hmm. And then some, I'm going to say genius, but moron read the box and went well this says the chemicals non-toxic so he poured it in his beer so he had a glowing beer and then several hours later he had the glowing result of drinking beer which the boys thought was hysterical (laughs) that you now had glowing pee the fact that they had to filter it through their kidneys and and liver and stuff blows my mind but for a couple of days Every night they were doing that until someone said, you know what? This is probably a really bad idea. We shouldn't do this anymore. And, you know, you want to say they all got cancer, but I have no idea. And and the the reality of non-toxic in general is there's an assumption of small dose. Yeah. (laughs) You know, It, it won't kill you if you swallow it by accident is the idea. But don't sit around drinking it. (laughs) It's like nutmeg. Nutmeg is a hallucinogenic in large doses, a deadly poison in very large doses. But we sprinkle it on our hot chocolate. (laughs) Tasty on hot chocolate and pumpkin pie. It's all a matter of degrees. So, but anyways, glow sticks, there's not really much we can say about them. Everyone knows glow stick is moving And I mean, they fall in, like you said, they fall, they have now fallen into that category of dollar store ephemera. Yep. It's (laughs) just stuff you can get. All right. Moving on to, well, this one's not very big. Uh, This should take us a minute or two tops. And that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. What do you say about that? Yeah, they're turtles or ninjas. Moving on. They were Eastman a and Laird. Comic book first, right? Uh, yes, comic book first by uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, I believe. Peter Laird? That doesn't sound right. I think it's Peter Laird. Sure. Anyways. Um, yeah, they they were struggling comic artists who randomly found each other. Uh, and they wanted to do their own thing. And so they were screwing around. They had done some, some work for other uh, magazines and stuff. And one night they just had this brainstorm of doing something stupid, right? As as a lot of artists do, they're just making stuff up, right? And so, oh, what if it was this thing? And what about that? And what's the weirdest thing you can come up with? And one of them was penciling, the other was inking, and they came up with these turtles that were well, they should be, they should be ninjas. Well, if they're ninjas, then we want them walking on two feet, and so they should be mutants. Well, I mean, how funny would it be if they were teenagers, right? And and it just developed into this thing, uh, you know. And they the first comics were black and white, um, as many marginal indie comics are, um, because colorists are expensive, and most comic artists don't do a lot of color on their own. That's why there's so many people involved in comic art, especially then. It was just black and white was an okay thing, and it was dark. 
like those first comics are super dark. They're they're murdery and very yeah. ninja oriented. And I mean, you look at Shredder. Shredder's been cutesied up for TV, but Shredder is a nasty shogun warrior kind of guy um, who you just you wouldn't want to walk into on the street because he'd poke you with something because he was covered in blades, right? And it was just this idea. And so yeah, super dark. Uh, the original turtles didn't have. Uh, didn't have any color to them. So masks, all the same color. Yeah. There was no differential. Uh, when they got picked up on their popular, it, it blew up. People loved it. They went through their first print run really fast. Uh, if you can find those early comics, like I think it's the first four or six issues. Uh, first printings of those are thousands of dollars sometimes just because they're really hard to get a hold of because they self-published. Sorry, I started yeah. laughing, and, and Christian doesn't know why. He said he would poke you. He's covered in knives. I just imagined him going, Mom, I haven't seen you so... Oh, crap. <laughs> Can someone help pull him off my armor? <laughs> That's the uh, the epitome of nerddom right there. Is yeah. you, you have a funny thought, and it's... Yep. Yep. That's a thing. And that's how good things are developed. So yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's like, hey, you know. This and could so be a thing. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got a very cool theme song. And it was written by Chuck Lorre. Chuck Lorre, who created the Big Bang Theory. And many and more things before that. But two, he's two most known men, now for the Big Bang Theory. Two and a half men in Big Bang Theory yeah. and a bunch of other things. Yeah, because Chuck Lorre was a, uh, he was, was a journeyman musician at that point, yeah. I think, was the terminology behind it. So he wrote that. And, and that has lasted through most of the iterations, has it yeah, not? Yeah, it's one of those few things. It's it's gotten to a point there there's a section of the 80s where there's just stuff you don't touch right and one of them is a mutant is the ninja turtles theme song is it's fine the way it is you mess with how you play it but the music essentially stays the same and, and the melodies there you don't have to uh, well that too much. that goes back to something we said we either have talked about it or we've said we need to and that is when a piece of music attaches itself to a property so deeply that you cannot separate the two. Yeah. So the Star Wars theme for John Williams, most notably the Superman theme for John Williams, because I have felt personally slightly ripped off when you look at Smallville, when you look at the Man of Steel, the fact that the Williams theme wasn't there throughout yeah kind of means there's like a missing tooth it was used as a glance of what was happening the only time the williams theme came in was at the end of smallville the final episode of smallville the last like 30 seconds i want to say to that effect and this is an aside i want to say to that effect that i actually agree with the way it was used for smallville because of what smallville was i don't agree with i i'm with you on on man of steel that one I understand. Me. Like I, I get why they didn't yeah. do it, but I always because if you watch, I've showed people this. If you look up the finale scene of Clark getting his suit yeah. that has been reskinned with the John Williams soundtrack, yeah. it is one thousand percent better than what it was in the original. Yeah. You're just like, this is it. This yeah. is exactly what I've been waiting. I've yeah. been waiting for this. I wanted this to happen, and. If it's fulfilled, even though it's after the point. Yeah. Now, the only thing in Man of Steel, they did use it in a tiny little clip. And I think we've talked about this, yeah. but I've mentioned it. 
in the Justice League when they're getting their butts handed to them by Steppenwolf. He says, well, nobody defeat me. You know, well, nobody be able to do this. And then you just hear do, 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 do in the background, very subtly. And, and Superman goes, well, I'm a big fan of justice or whatever the line is. And then punches him through the wall. It's there. It's so subtle and so quick. You don't hear it unless you know what you're looking for, or you just all like, it's the musical cue that lets you know, even subconsciously, Superman's here. Yeah. This is going to be okay. Yeah. The point being that, yes, the, the Ninja Turtles theme song is connected to it in the exact same way. Uh, later on our list, sorry for spoilers on this, but it's the same episode. Transformers is the same way. Yes. Transformers has a very, you know, um, what is it? Robots in disguise. You, you hear that. And that becomes part of it. And that's another point to the fact that when Michael Bay made the movies, he didn't use that. Yes. And that was disappointing. Maybe that would be the the thing that I unknowingly was disappointed about. Um, now, just, there's another, not there's another sound cue that if they did not use it, would have killed the show. And that was the transformer noise. <laughs> yeah, that if they hadn't used that. It would have been done. Yeah. Nobody would have watched it because that's the trigger. But anyway, what's happening? We're talking about sound triggers now. We should be talking about toys. So the toys had all kinds of stuff: the turtle mobile, the uh, Foot Clan, the pizza tosser. There was a Foot yeah. Clan. There they, they went crazy. Oh, it was with insane. Toys. The funniest thing though um, is Playmates is such a backwards company compared to. American-run companies like, like Mattel and Hasbro. Mm-hmm. Mattel and Hasbro are all about how can we monetize this? What can we do? How do we get people on board? And how do we crank out as much as possible in as many different variations? Playmates was so unsure about the Turtles. Uh, they stood back and said, well, we want proof positive that this is going to work before we invest heavily in it, right? So we'll give you enough to get you going, but we're not going to hang the company on this. Right. And up until that point, Playmates didn't have a lot. They were it was a doll company. Right. right? They made baby dolls. That was that was kind of their big thing. Um, And so to switch over to this turtle thing that comes from this dark essence of things. Right. And try to make it campy and playful and and kid friendly. They wanted proof positive, Uh, which is not the wrong business decision. But in the time it was being done was very different. Um, you know, whereas everybody else was, let's throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Uh, Playmates was throwing caution. Um, and one of the funniest things to me was in the original comics, the turtles have tails. Oh yeah. When they did the mock-up of the toys, they did the prototypes. They showed the, they, they have them that have the tails and they're like, no, (laughs) no, no, no. It's like, what? It's like, these turtles can't have tails because from the front, the tail sticks down yeah. between the legs and you can use your imagination um, because it's, this is a family friendly. Or show. you don't have to. Use uh, your imagination. <laughs> you didn't have to use your imagination. <laughs> turtles were a little phallic looking. <laughs> and so they got snipped. Uh, <laughs> as you do, you know, Bob Barker had been pushing for that sort of thing for years. Have your pets made and neutered. Uh, <laughs> Your Ninja Turtles were no different. Quite what he was going for, but um, so they snipped the tails, and then it became this big hit. And it was a huge hit, 
and it maintained. It, it got did. to the movie. The movie was good. Then they got to the second movie, and it wasn't quite as good. And then the third movie was garbage. The first movie did the thing that was unexpected for the Turtles, though, because the Turtles had made their fame in Saturday morning cartoon. <clears throat> yep. Right? Doing the filmation thing and do it. I don't know if it was filmation that worked on it, but that was the era. Um, but doing that sort of Saturday morning thing and went into after school syndication right away. And people loved it. And it was campy. It was playful. It was child friendly. You know, the turtles eating pizza, slinging, throwing stars. It was, you know, whatever. Um, and it was, it was, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it was kid friendly. Mm hmm. And then when they did the movie, they actually went back to this kind of darker side of Turtles a little bit because when Shredder shows up in the movie, like there all the shots were all on dark sides of things. There was a lot of night shots yeah. right after dark shots, which used a lot of cagey shadow angles. And Shredder in that movie is a scary, scary villain. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're thinking kid friendly turtle stuff, the the turtles are fun. Shredder was not. <laughs> but they've also conclusively proven that as long as the hero is light enough, yeah. the shadows don't matter. Yeah, Like, you look at Doctor Who, who in the okay. 60s, Daleks were terrifying. They were the scariest thing on television in Britain yeah. to the point where kids would watch Doctor Who from behind the house. Yeah. I have a story. Now, again, we're really going sideways on here. But I was working a conference about, I think it was about geriatrics. And they had a woman who was trying some new programs and stuff in Britain through their old age homes, was coming to speak to a bunch of professionals here in Canada. And she had her PowerPoint up. And we're going through each slide. And there's a slide of a Dalek at the top of a set of stairs and two people down at the bottom and the caption is oh that was easier than i thought it was going to be because back in the 60s daleks couldn't fly and their uh, their operational arm could only go so low so if you got to the bottom of a set of stairs they couldn't target low enough to shoot <laughs> you and they couldn't go downstairs yeah. <laughs> so daleks were terrifying and she put that in there to tell the story that when she was a kid and watching Doctor Who, she had a plan that if the Daleks ever came, she <laughs> would get them to chase her. She would jump down the set of stairs because even if she broke a leg, they still couldn't get to her. Yeah. And then the new Doctor Who, all of a sudden, they can fly and and and, and so they're and then they became even more nightmarish. <laughs> or more, yes. But at the time, with the naivete of the world of and, and everything. Daleks were terrifying. Absolutely. But I said to her, that's really funny. But like four people in this room are going to get that joke. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, come on. I'm like, I'm telling you, like four people. And she's like, I thought they were You're universal. You're going to have to explain what a Dalek she is. Goes, yeah. <laughs> she goes, I thought Daleks were universal. I said, they're not at all. No. I know what they are. Yeah. But I said four people tops. And she's like, come on. So she starts her presentation. She goes, okay, put up the slide. And she goes, now, before I explain this slide, I want to ask the crowd, how many people understand this joke? Four people. Yeah. Literally four <laughs> people put their hands up. She goes, oh, my God, Marcus, you were right. 
<laughs> and then went on with the whole explanation of what it was. <laughs> but it was just funny. And but it proved that as long as your hero was light, yeah. it didn't matter how dark and scary the bad things were because kids know things are dark and scary. Yeah. You have to have someone that can help you get out of that place. Mm-hmm. The doctor, the turtles, whatever. But scary was fine as long as there was bright light. Yeah. And they neutered that down when they did the, the television show yeah. for the Teenage Mutant Turtles. But when they did the movie, they went back to that a little yeah. bit because the turtles were light, but Shredder was scary. Well, and I mean, basically, the concern there was no concern with it with the original comics because they were not intended for yeah. children. Uh, they were written for a mature audience or for, I mean, it was an indie published thing. They knew who was going to be reading it, you know. The, the indie comics at the time, you know, you're talking about indie comics in the 80s. There were not children picking these up off the newsstand most yeah. of the time, right? If a kid was reading it, it's because their teenage brother had it or their, their college-age brother had it because he was really into that and so by association, right? Then the Turtles got claimed by children, which was totally okay because the things that came from that were really fantastic. And uh, they, they each got their own personalities. They each got their own identities, even by the simplicity of, which I think is the most hilarious thing. If they take their masks off, you can't tell them apart. Yes, you can. Uh, <laughs> by the their weapons. Part. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, if, they're, if they're unequipped, they're just turtles. If they take their heads, right? if they take their eyes off, they look like every other mutant turtle yeah. that's aren't ninjas. They have no idea. Um... What I, I want to believe that if you take a turtle's mask, the animated turtle's masks off, there's no eyes. It just comes with it. So the, the, thing, the Muppet ones disprove that because they have the yeah. green side inside the mask. What I was going to say was the nice thing about that from the comic book standpoint is because all those kids grew up on it, they're able to go dark again. Yep. Like when you get to the last Ronin. Yeah, you can start incrementally taking well, the, the last those steps in the right direction. In, in dark. the direction, yeah. Yeah, like Splinter <laughs> and like three of the turtles have been murdered by Splinter. Splinter is one. He's now like running the show for this town or whatever it is. And I think it's Michelangelo is the last Ronin standing. Wow. And he gets dark and just goes on a murder spree. Like it is a, it is a fantastic yeah. story, but it is back to the original dark and that's fantastic i mean i love it i love the fact that it's come full circle because all the kids that grew up watching the trolls and loving them are now old and can enjoy the subtleties of the darkness well and the nice thing in some of the um syndication uh, or or rehashing or, or reliving of old series and everything as well animation is not as concerned about canon as film is yes right your animation stuff never had to be on canon there was never not usually because it was so episodic in the first place there were slight ties from story to story but most kids didn't have the attention span for that and so it wasn't something they concerned themselves with and so it almost gives you license now to yes you can do your last ronin stuff and still have a really valid child-friendly version of the turtles that's available which they do now yeah so anyways, we're going to get away from the animation. Maybe we'll do a one-shot about that later or maybe even a full episode because we got a lot of material, apparently. Uh, a lot of that's going to hit the cutting room floor. <laughs> that being said, Teenage Mutant Turtles... I can't even say it properly. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
<laughs> they were a huge phenomenon. Still going on today. Huge collectibles. Um, and they're re-releasing the toys now, too. Yes. Uh, uh, so Playmates, I don't know if Playmates is still involved in it, but NECA picked up the license, really? which they've done with a few different things now because they picked up the Hellboy license. They did, I want to say they got the Universal Monsters as well, but I'm not positive about that. They, NECA is huge in toys. They're they're the name in high-end toys now. Yeah, they're uh, the collectible, collectible stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, either NECA or Diamond Select. If you're dealing with either of those, you're dealing in, you know, uh, 112 Collective is doing really great stuff too, which is an aside, but we're not going far down that road. But NECA picked up the Turtles license, and they're redoing some of the most popular Turtles, which they're in this process of going through. Uh, Playmates had done the Universal Monsters Turtles, right? which was awesome. They're some of the coolest Turtles out there because they did... Uh, Donnie as Dracula, they did Wolfman, they did Frankenstein, okay. right? I'll have to look those up, I haven't seen them. Yeah, well, I've had a few of, them come th- of the original ones come through the store recently. I have the Dracula one, I'll show you later. Okay. But NECA's picked them up and they're doing their version of them. So they're, they're staying true to the original form, but doing it in their quality, right. which is really nice. Because NECA's stuff is just second to none when it comes to quality on their on their sculpts and things like that. Uh, but it still has that nostalgic feel to it. And the boxing is really great. And it's it's a really beautiful display piece to have. Um, and I love that that's a thing for action figures. Even we talked about Star Wars a bit. Star Wars action figures are, are action figures in general. All your nostalgia is being done in a format that's displayable. Yeah. Because, yeah, we're old guys who don't get a lot of time to play with our toys, but we want to be able to put them up and display them. You know, 112 Collective, like I said, is doing some really awesome stuff with adjustability. Uh, Diamond Select kind of does that as well, where it gives you optional change-outs for hand positions, and uh, the joints are sometimes removable, so you can get them in that fight position that you want them in and i'm doing it in front of a mic and you're looking at me weird because it it is weird um, as if people can see this stance i'm making perfect um, point for radio <laughs> right but they're doing really great things with with action figures now to make them more uh make them more collector friendly which is awesome uh the fact that that's the age we live in i'm such a happy person just uh, as a quick <laughs> aside when episode one came out and lightsabers, like decently looking lightsabers started to come out. I was had a plan to collect them all and <laughs> put them in a gun rack and display them in a gun rack. It's a now, plan set for failure, unfortunately. Now. No, because at the time... Unless you have a lot of money now. At the time, there was only a few <laughs> of them, and they weren't few, very yeah. good. They were plastic, yeah. and, you know, they. but I thought a gun rack would be funny. Now they have, like... Light up with a, like the Force FX proper Force FX yeah. sabers that have the wall well, mounts like and, two three hundred dollars. I know and, they're crazy. Oh my god! But anyways, um, I love them. They're fantastic. they're gorgeous. <laughs> uh, so that was Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I can't the talk turtles. the turtles. The turtles. Turtles are anyways. Uh, let's move show. to the creepy thing that's been staring down at me for the past six eight months <laughs> while we're playing games in the back room, and that is. Teddy Ruxpin, how you think Glowworm was nightmare-inducing, but Teddy Ruxpin is just fine. Because that thing sits behind me when I play. (laughs) Teddy Ruxpin, I always, again, Teddy Ruxpin was past the point where I was. I was too old for it, but I always thought it was creepy as hell because... It's a little too real. (laughs) It's a little too real, but the fact that we discovered 
for those of you who don't know, Teddy Ruxpin was this buddy who, Buddy Bear, who was a, basically a little robot. And you put a cassette tape of him talking into his chest, press play, and he would tell you stories with his mouth moving and eyes blinking. And it was like your personal... Um, Country Bear Jamboree Bear. It was the first, one of the early iterations of parents really phoning in. <laughs> it's it's literally the world's first animated talking yeah. toy. It's like, and you want a story tonight, kid? Here's your Teddy here's Ruxpin. Your teddy I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> here's your Teddy Ruxpin. Here's his book. Read with him. What we discovered was that if you put regular music tapes in there, it also sang along. Yeah. So we would, you know, we did the kid's little brother. We'd steal it. We'd put like Black Sabbath or, you know, Motley Crue into it and watch his little bear going, you know, uh, smoking in the boys room. Like, you know, it, it was hilarious. But you really want to hear Teddy Ruxpin singing about not being able to get no satisfaction. Exactly. <laughs> and then he had a buddy and the buddy's name was his name. Hermie. Was it Hermie? Is it? I don't know enough about it. It was it was oh. just before my time in a way that I knew it was a thing, but it wasn't a thing. Okay, I'm gonna have right. to look it up because I want to know if I'm because right I'm now. marginal on that too. With you know my my love of '80s toys is an unnatural love of '80s toys because I was born in '89. Yes, you can feel old. Um, I feel old when Cameron tells me when he was born, uh, <laughs> but. Um, being born in 89, but having parents who were big garage sale and auction people, most of the toys we had were from before our time, right? We didn't have a lot of the newest stuff, uh, you know, income-wise that wasn't always an option. I mean, we were pretty big on Lego and Hot Wheels, so those were new. But uh, even a lot of that was secondhand, and we loved it. We didn't care. It was It was awesome. We got twice as much for half the buck, but a lot of our toys ended up being older that way. And so we had an appreciation for it. And that's what leads me to be who I am now. So I can't complain. Um, my obsessive behavior. Grubby. Which is, is a it, terrible name. Well, because he was a, he was a caterpillar. Yeah, it's, it's, on the, it's on the nose. He was grubby. Uh, and now, which is, uh, sorry, to put in context, uh, we have in, in the office here, uh, in the game room, we have this display that was given to us of Teddy Ruxpin and grubby in a boat in a boat and it was a toys r us display and so it's animatronic it's got a uh it's got a visual perceiver on it that or sensor on it that yeah. when you pass it it activates right it doesn't i don't have it operating so that's not the creepy part it just sits there staring and the grubby is actually missing the bot what is the, the top bottom half, part? Of, its top half of his mouth and the bottom half of his jaw is disconnected as well um, so, so it, it just kind of hangs there in a really weird way. <laughs> so it, it's less Teddy so, Ruxpin, uh, more Five Night at Freddy's. Yeah, <laughs> Five Night at Teddy's. Five. <laughs> oh, it's even the get fifth my, night at Teddy's. Don't even get my kids yeah. started. Five Night at Freddy's, you'll lose hours. But yeah, we have this display thing in the store, and it creeps most people out. It doesn't bug me because when I'm dungeon mastering at the end of the table, it's behind me. I don't have to look at it. <laughs> All right. Well, Teddy so. Rexman was what it was. It was um, it was a good good thing at the time. Uh, it got kids reading because you read along with them, and you're as a kid, if it moves and talks, it has sort of a life of its own. Yeah, that's still true. It's still true. Yeah. So they got really attached to them, 
and they were reissued sometime in the late 90s. I don't think it came out as well the second time, though, because I don't remember it did it not, but it thing. was also, if I remember correctly, the spokes bear for, I think, Miss, Miss, uh, Missing and Exploited Children. Oh, maybe. The National yeah. Center. I think, yeah, in the States, it was the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children because he was all over the television trying to get, because when kids have trauma, that kind they of thing that can, they can yeah, talk absolutely. to that yeah. isn't a parent or an adult that it tells its stories and you can tell things to. And, you know, it's a it's a pretty big comfort for trauma. So, but anyways, Teddy Ruxpin was a huge phenomenon. I had a TV show, same as everything else, to sell more Teddy Ruxpins and there were a number of books you could purchase book with tape to change it up. So he wasn't only reading one book. Yep. There were expansion books, if you want to call it that, but it was, you know, it was, a, it was good for what it was. It was pretty groundbreaking is what I'm looking for. It was groundbreaking. It started a trend and started down the road to all kinds of other things that were more interactive than I love my stuffed animal. <laughs> Well, and teddy bears up to that point had very little play value, intrinsic value, other than hug it at right. night or look. Well, that was shelf. it. It was it was a comfort toy, and it's always been a comfort toy. Teddy yeah. Ruxpin didn't change that, but it it kind of took a teddy bear, dare I say, to another level. Um, it's not a great leap, but it's it's a new thing that a teddy bear could do that most of them were static static yep. play things, right? That you're dragged around by your little kid, you know, the whole what is it, Michael and Peter Pan drags his teddy yep. bear around. Right. So All right. Well, moving on, we got two more things left for the eighties, and they should be able to be done within the next thirty five to sixty minutes. <laughs> I was wondering what number you're gonna put on that. Do you know? So the next thing we have is the wrestling buddy. The wrestling buddy. The wrestling buddy was much like He Man a muscle-bound toy for manly boys and men. And it was, you know, super muscular. But the difference between He-Man and Wrestling Buddies is Wrestling Buddies had real-world counterparts. <coughs> this is true. Yeah, they were all based on actual WWF wrestlers. And, um, yeah, they were all WWF. They were all Vince, WWF big, Vince McMahon was making wrestling a big thing, right? Yeah. In the 80s, wrestling became huge. It, not that it's not still big now. It's a totally different thing it's now. It's a than different what thing it was. now. Like, there I feel was. Like we talked about that. I talked about that with somebody recently, and um, I don't know that that was a conversation you and I had. No, but it wasn't. It was, uh, yeah, it was talking about wrestling in general and the characterization of wrestlers in the 80s. So different from now. They were right? cartoon everybody characters. Everybody had a shtick. Yeah. They were cartoon characters. You had to have. Uh, an outfit, a shtick, uh, something like the last one who might have sort of been on the tail end of that was The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. But they were the 90s dark version. Yeah. Uh, in current wrestling, and I'm not even up on wrestling. I'm not a big wrestling no, guy. Either. Um, but in current wrestling, it's more, I don't even know if it's current current as in the 2000s uh, or early 2010s Rey Mysterio is kind of the most animated of people because he's the luchador he's got the mask on and the whole thing and so there's there's the air around him so there is still an air about that yeah but the air um, about but it it's now, very it's so different it's much more dark and gritty and yeah. real in the 80s everything like you hated 
Rowdy Roddy Piper. But you couldn't hate him? Like, you can, like, absolutely despise Stone Cold Steve Austin because he's a legit jack wagon. Yeah. In, like, outside, he's he's mostly a nice, nice guy. guy. But on the, like, in there, there was no redeeming qualities to him. He was just the bad guy. The Rock was the bad guy until he became the good guy. And then when he was the good guy, he went through the roof. But he was still gritty yeah. And real, which is funny because Dwayne Johnson is one of the nicest, nicest guys, guys in the world. But Hulk Hogan, with his long blonde hair that was thinning on top <laughs> and ripping his shirt every time, and pointing to the crowd and listening for the roars, and he was part wrestler, part hype man. And then they had all like they try, they keep trying to do it. Well, there was there was <clears> such a the nineteen eighties. In its essence of wrestling and what made it so watchable was the theatrics, right? It wasn't just a bunch of guys in the ring. It was the reason you could be okay with your kids watching a couple guys beat each other down was because there's a show, right? Yeah. It's, you know, they're doing the horse and pony show. It's, you know, or dog, horse and pony show, dog and pony show yeah. thing, right? Oh, it's the walk in, it's the attitude, it's the backstage, it's, you know, the the story around everything and yeah then they spend 10 minutes beating on each other well there's, there's, <laughs> the other part of it was the fact that the backstage stuff was not reality based no it no. was scripted with an inch of its life yeah when you had uh piper's corner where roddy was out there with his kilt and he would have a wrestler come in and interview them and then lose his mind and start beating on them or they would beat on him. It was funny. It was kind of clever. Uh, I showed you before. One of the funniest things I remember was George the Animal Steel. Now, George the Animal Steel, (laughs) as a character, he was bald. I'm going to say ugly, but I think it was deliberately accentuated that way. And his body was absolutely covered in hair that he looked like he was wearing a sweater at all times. And he was literally an animal. He was one and a half steps above gorilla in the way he was portrayed. Now to my knowledge, and again, this may be incorrect, but we all learned about it as kids. He was actually found as a professor at U of T. He was an incredibly intelligent man. Yeah. And they just threw him a lot of money to say, you can be a wrestler and act like an idiot and we'll throw money at you. And he went, okay. I'm intelligent enough to know that that's a good that's idea. A good, <laughs> that's a great deal. But they did this bit where he went to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist talks like this because that is what German psychiatrists did back in the day. And it was like super bizarre. And Captain Lou Albano, who was his manager. I still love that that's a trope, by the way. Oh, the German psychiatrist. Say, oh, all psychiatrists are German. It's because we are Freudian and it's what we do. <laughs> they did Animaniacs, too. But anyways, Dr. Scratch and Sniff was, uh, was German. Uh, anyways, uh, George went in and was getting electroshock therapy. And they hit him with a jolt. And he was okay. And they hit him with another jolt. And then the machine got stuck on and hit him with a big jolt. And he said, 
something to the effect of, by Jove, I think that is enough. I will be happy to be this intelligent again for the rest of my life. And then got hit with a massive jolt, which fried all of that and made him into a worse animal. <laughs> and he starts tearing apart the office. And But it's you can look it up online. It's funny. But um, my buddy, who I think we've mentioned before. And that's been done a few times. Oh, yeah. Too, which is, and it's a great trope. Yeah. yeah. It's like the Bart Simpson. I need pepper on my thing. A little bit more. A little bit more. A bit more. Too much. Take it away. You know, like it's that, that trope is around. But my buddy who, uh, I said he's currently a wrestler manager in the, in the Ontario League. Like he's not on the WWE or anything, but he's making his living being a wrestler and a manager. He was obsessed with wrestling. And his dad, who was a long haul trucker who was gone for most of the week, would buy his kids whatever they wanted to make up for the fact that he was gone. And so he had every single wrestler. He had the ring. He had whatever accessibilities there were. The thumb wrestlers, which were little wrestlers you could put on your thumb to do thumb <laughs> Those wrestling. Those were the most ridiculous toys. Those were silly. <laughs> but it was fun. And so he had all of them. Like, they were lined up around his room. I think the only person I've ever seen with a better collection is Mysterion. Yeah. And he's a uh, magician slash sideshow guy. He's been on, like, America's Got Talent and Fool Penn and Teller and all that. Um, he has a massive wrestling collection in his room, or in one of his rooms. He's got a, he's just a collector in general. We we can go nuts for hours talking about his stuff. But anyways, um, so the toys were, and they weren't cheap. No. They were like no, 25 were bucks a piece or something. Are we specifically the buddies? The, the buddies, The pillow yeah. buddies? Yeah, they weren't cheap because they oh, were. Oh, is that the pillow buddies? Yeah, that's that's what those are, aren't they? I don't know. Let's... Again, a fault in not researching our material beforehand. I was pretty sure that's what we were talking about. Oh, you could be right. Let's see. So, like, in in the meantime. Yeah, that's no, the pillow, bu- pillow Buddies. I was pretty sure. Yeah, so there were, like, the rubber wrestlers ahead of time. Yeah, and that's what that, we're talking about. Right? And that's what we had been talking about. The wrestling buddies were the pillows. Right? And so they were more expensive. They were, they were around $25, whereas... Uh, at that point, uh, action one of those action figures would have been what five five to between five and ten somewhere in there ten or, ten or above. Like really? It, yeah, those were okay, very expensive. They were heavy too, though. Yeah, they so were very it, like, solid very plastic, and they, you could bend them. Well, because they're rubberized plastic. They are rubberized yeah. plastic. You could bend them to certain yeah. poses, not crazily, but. Yeah. And then there was the wrestling where you could, you know, with elastic uh, ropes, so you could spring off the top rope and create all the stuff. Yeah. But wrestling buddies, and I, I didn't realize we were talking about this, so I, we've gone on a bit of a huge tangent, apology-wise. But oh, it had some good lead-up. That's it. We're okay. We were so the stage. Um, wrestling buddies were released in the eighties. They were the cuddly side of professional wrestling. They were um, wrestling had a huge youth fan base in the eighties, and still does to oh. some extent. Um, they were buddies that like they were pillows in the shape of the wrestlers that you could wrestle with yeah. on your bed and, and play with as a wrestling toy that were not quite your height, but they were bigger than the little wrestlers. And then eventually superheroes got in fact. So then there was a Spider-Man and a Hulk. And so you could eventually have Hulk Hogan and the Hulk fight each other. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you could have a lot of fun with it. Um, but they were all, like I said, they were all uh, stuffed. Yeah. They were these amorphous kind of, 
<laughs> humanoid shape. Humanoid, but like if you squished Hulk Hogan from head to toe, yeah. uh, just ever so slightly in a pneumatic <laughs> press. Um, not all the way. Yeah, not <laughs> to flat, like but... three quarter. Um, and so they're weirdly amorphous, but it, it made for a good pillow. It was a good thing to use as a pillow or whatever. And then you could wrestle and play with it as well. Um, you know, if you had the kid who was afraid. It was essentially yeah. making your your pillow fight a legitimate pillow fight. Yeah. Right? Is <laughs> something you could actually pillow fight with. And there was actually a, a wrestling cartoon. Did you know that? Hulk Hogan's know. Rock and Wrestling was a oh, cartoon that had cartoons of all I mean, the main guys. Me. And they would intersperse it with real people yeah. doing bits. And, uh, I mean, they also had the album and all kinds of other stuff like that. Well, because that was like... I want to say, and I don't have any foundation for it, but I want to say like wrestling in the 80s was kind of an early foundation for uh, athletic license deals, right? Is you would get wrestlers who would be spokespeople for all sorts of products because they were the biggest athletes, biggest names out there. And you could sell anything that Hulk Hogan wanted to put his name on. Oh yeah. Right? And that was, and I feel like that may have left or, or may have laid early groundwork for what we know as sports licensing. Now where you have athletes, you know, LeBron James will put his name on space jam and say, Oh, see movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, even like Vince McMahon or not. Right? He was a marketing. He is a marketing genius. Yeah, he's a great businessman. He's never hesitated to put himself on the line to be part of it because he's kept himself in shape. And he's always been willing. He's always been obsessive about winning. Right. He never wanted anybody to be able to outdo what he was doing. Um, which is, you know, there are many different kinds of business success, but that is a kind of business, especially at the time in which he was building the, what is now the WWE, um, but was WWF at that point. I mean, he took on Ted Turner and Ted Turner had 10 times the money he had. But he also had 10 times the loopholes that he or red tape that he had to go through, yeah. whereas McMahon could just lay down the law for WWF and say, this is what we're doing. Right. Turner had to deal with shareholders and things like that, that uh, this was wrestling was not a thing that they did. Right. <laughs> so and and um, shockingly, all because it doesn't happen as often as you think it does. Stephanie is a worthy successor. Absolutely. She's learned at the feet of her father and well, how and to do it right. It's funny because when I was a kid, not knowing anything about anything, and especially about wrestling, I was again, I wasn't a wrestling kid, but knowing now what I know, looking at Vince McMahon and the way he was portrayed and Stephanie, everything in wrestling was a shtick. And so you, he did such a good job of actually blending himself into his own material that you weren't really sure whether to believe he was actually the man in charge. Right. Yeah. Right. Is, is that, or is that just his character on the show? Is that, is it a shtick? No, he's actually the man pulling the strings. He's, you know, he's, he's, you he's know, the president of the board there. of directors. He's the right? buck stops there yeah. guy. Yeah. But it seemed like a shtick. And I think that's something he did amazingly is, is he wasn't afraid to step out on the stage, which a lot of owners aren't willing to do. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, especially now sports owners don't want to be seen. They don't care if their face is on anything. Their face isn't worth money. It's (laughs) they pay people lots and lots of money to be the face of their companies. Right. (laughs) 
So, so. Uh, wrestling buddies again, just a pillow with wrestling yeah. thing on more marketing, but it filled a need. Yeah, which is funny because wrestling is wrestling toys in general have got bounced around quite a bit. Yeah, you know, Jack Specific had it, and then uh, Mattel's picked it up more recently, and and yeah, it it got bounced around a lot. It was tough, um, and there was a lot around right because of the different leagues and stuff but we won't get into that yeah all right so, so to wrap this up we're gonna do again a very easy one that doesn't have a lot of things <laughs> the transformers <laughs> and just so you know they are more than meets the eye i am optimus prime oh i think that's about the closest i've ever gotten that's, that wasn't too it's, bad it's gravelly <laughs> and it's more soft it is a little bit it's, more, it's I, more that, the gravelly in his voice i know is peter cullen's yeah. voice let me see if i let's try mine i am optimus prime you're a little we, too came, we came here <laughs> yeah we came here from cybertron yeah i'm not good at it i can't do that one either but um yeah that one i just did i think is about yeah, as close as i've close ever gotten <laughs> But, Which is not that close, but it's not bad. And this is another one of those things of the chicken and the egg. Did the <laughs> did the toys sell the love of the animation, or did the animation sell the love of the toys? I'm pretty sure I know that which came first, but once it's established, which one is it? That feeds the other one more. In the question of Transformers, which came first, the toys or the animation, G.I. Joe is the answer. Okay. <laughs> I love the blank look I just got from you. Right. Okay, you, so can, you can go ahead and... We're going to have a little history 101 on this. Uh, G.I. Joe being another Hasbro property. Yep. G.I. Joe came out in the 60s with their 12-inch action figure. It was a, a travesty to call it a doll. Yep. They were very strict about that. It was a fireable offense at, at Hasbro. Um, when G.I. Joe waned through the late 70s because there wasn't really major conflicts, um, or it was just it was just the way the market was. Peace and love was the thing in the 70s, and Joe doesn't fit into that mentality uh, just by nature. A big popularity thing was Hasbro was trying to get a hold of a Japanese market as well. But they were also in the business of Americanizing Japanese things, right? In Japan, there was a connection they had. I don't I don't know the exact details of it, but there was a connection through Japan with, uh, I think it was with Takara Toys, who made the original Transformers and still are involved in Transformers now. Uh, they do a lot of the design aspect of Transformers. Takara was looking for some sort of space toy. G.I. Joe was not going to sell in Japan because American soldiers to Japanese people are a bad thing. For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons, because American soldiers are not something that are, are welcomed by J Japanese people. And, you know, history has told us that story. Takara, I believe it was Takara, took the molds from G.I. Joe. And made a space alien thing. And the original one of it was basically a G.I. Joe that was clear. And you could see some workable parts. It had lights and sounds and stuff. It was it was a weird looking thing. But robots are a big thing in Japanese culture. Yes, they are. Right? Especially in Japanese pop culture. Especially in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and even before then. But 
you know, it was becoming this big thing. The other thing was, uh, I mean, Japanese, like the Japanese culture really took to puzzles and things like that and things that had kineticism to them. And so Takara kind of developed into Transformers first, which were Diaclone. Diaclone was kind of the initial kickoff that Takara had as versions of Transformers. It was a transforming toy that went from like a robot to a vehicle. And so they had that prior to Hasbro stepping into anything. Uh, Hasbro saw Diaclone, not not necessarily realizing that it was descendant of their own thing, <laughs> and said, hey, that's really cool. We'd love to take that and make it an American market thing. Now, trying to Americanize Japanese robot toys was not a new concept at all. Everybody was trying to do it. There were a bunch of really off-brand stuff. Even Marvel got involved in the idea, and that that was an early predecessor to to Power Rangers, which is a whole other thing. That was the Shogun Warriors. Yes. Yeah, I have right? the original so Shogun Warrior. Stanley got on board with that. That was got, there was a whole obsession he had with it. Yeah, I've got original yeah. Shogun Warrior comic books. But they also put out the toys, which yeah. were not great. They weren't great. Uh, it was it was really tough because there wasn't anything exciting about it, and it wasn't iconic to us over here. North American market, you know, kids in the North American market didn't really recognize Shogun, yeah, robot things. It wasn't our kind of a thing. It's the same right? reason. It wasn't iconic. To it's us. the same reason Gundam toys are more niche still yeah. in this day, day and age <clears throat> even though the the toys and the they're models are phenomenal. phenomenal and they're extremely true to form which i think is what makes them a little bit there's a gap in yeah. the market there that says well we that's a line we don't cross right or yeah. only a few people are willing to step across um and transformers meet the need right right but anyways, going um so uh diaclone then becomes transformers because hasbro got into business with takara takara would design the things and how they operated and changed and then hasbro would americanize it right Right. and so they basically walked into a guy's office at hasbro said here we need we need names and bios for x number of guys you know artwork whatever you know you have till monday (laughs) he had his legal pad and he just started making up names and he handed them the original toys and the g1 transformers and it was crazy some of the stuff he came up with, right? And it's all the stuff that we know to be iconic now. Megatron and, uh, you know, Starscream and uh, Soundwave, Optimus, Optimus Prime, Prime, Bumblebee, right? Bumblebee, all these things, right? Um, and there was such a method to the way he did it that it made sense and it stuck. Yeah. The best thing about the original Transformers is Megatron. The original Megatron. Megatron in the in the Michael Bay movies got so far from what he actually is. Oh yeah. The original Megatron is actually really, really accurate Waltham P forty five. Yes. <laughs> and then it became a rifle. <laughs> yeah. Which had all parts you could do for the rifle. Yeah, and- it had all these extra things. But the uh it was so accurate in fact that the guys which why they didn't figure to move them this way anyway uh when the salesmen were bringing them through customs <laughs> they had they got stopped all the time because they had a gun in their bag <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to get on a plane and you're not a marshal 
Um, and so they had to take it out and like, no, 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 it's a toy. I'm a salesman for Hasbro. Show identification. Be like, can I show you what it does? And they safety try to safety it. It didn't cock or anything. Yeah. So obviously it's not what it's supposed to be. And they'd transform it and show them this little robot toy. But they got nailed by customs all the time on these things. <laughs> and <laughs> say what you will, you have to admire and just be in awe of the engineering involved in every one of those toys. I have a hard time doing them, so yeah, they must be impossible to come up with. To create it, crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, like there, I was usually pretty good with Transformers. I could probably figure out how to make them work. I hit Omega Supreme, which was the city. Mm. I'm out. No, yeah, no, I could not ever figure that one out. Yeah. My buddy had it. And it was like a $170 Transformer or something in the 80s. Like, it was massive. But these were like early, I I don't have any foundation for it, but these were early influences for things like Micro Machines and everything as well. The play sets that then, I mean, they're very simple transformations, but it was the, it opened this floodgate of, oh, people want things that look like other, look things. Like other things. So, okay, yeah. And even Star Wars has a ton of... Uh, micro machine stuff that Gloob put out to, yeah. you know, as play sets that start out as you've got your, you know, Boba Fett's ship. Uh, <laughs> the, the fire spray. A, the fire spray, because the other one's a dirty word. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you've got, you know, all these ships and stuff that then open into play sets. Right? They had a sand really crawler cool. one. They had the sand crawler. They had the Death Star. They had, I mean, they made everything. Yeah. Right, they they really busted out everything. I think the only one I never, and I might be wrong, but the only one I don't remember seeing as a convertible playset from Galoob is an X-wing, or any of the fighter ships. Like probably that. not because they're too small. Well, and the Tie Fighters because the wing parts are the main part yeah. of that. And how do you that that main base? How do you turn that into something that'll actually have play value? Yeah. Um, but going back to Transformers, side. yeah, Transformers, and so then it developed into this, and Transformers. And G.I. Joe, the the 80s version of the G.I. Joe, the three and three quarter, um, Hasbro ran those lines side by side and they did what Hasbro now is known for. And Hasbro will take a property and you can't even say they'll beat it to death because the idea is that they will beat it to death, but it never dies. They do it in such a way that it just keeps being interesting. Yeah. Right. It's they just create content. Right. And it's mindless the way they did it in the 80s. They just rattled out stuff. The idea that, well, you know, once you own and it came from Star Wars, the original Star Wars characters were 12. There was the original 12 and then there were a few more for the next movie and next movie. And overall, Kenner ran maybe 150 variations. Maybe. I don't have the actual number, but it wasn't nearly as much. Hasbro said, we're going to make a ton of money because we're going to have thousands of variations. <laughs> then they hit the Voltron method. Voltron as a toy was an incredible toy because it worked almost screen accurate because I had it. And things would fold up and five lions became one giant robot. Mm -hmm. And they went, oh, that's a thing. And then... The Constructicons and the Dinobots yep. all would trans. You'd have to buy all five separately yep. at twenty five bucks a pop. <laughs> yeah, they weren't could, cheap toys at you all. You could you could transform them from robot to dinosaur, 
But then there was a third transformation where they became the left foot, the right arm, the whatever, to become a giant robot. Optimus, uh, no, not Optimus Prime. Who was the one who did, uh, tried to open the Matrix and couldn't? Anyways, he was a considerably bigger truck yeah. because he was a, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was a car transport. So you could load mm-hmm. other Transformers onto him and drive them away. This is the thing I always struggled with with these toys. Was uh, Transformers really cool? We maybe had one or two. Ultra Magnus thing, but Ultra-Magnus. because there was so much to have, and they were expensive, and they were super popular, we didn't get our hands on much of them. Nope. Same thing was with GI Joe. There was just so much that it was obsessive, and but GI Joe, you GI Joe get... was also based on a violent thing to my parents, and yeah. so they weren't super big on that. But um, GI Joe, you could get a character for five bucks. Well, that's it, right? It like was, it was totally the same it. transformer. The the smallest transformer was like fifteen Still, to twenty. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Uh, Soundwave was the little radio, right? Or the little no Soundwave was the big one because right? he was he was about I don't know. I guess he would have been a fair size. He was a fair size, but he also came with the the cassette tapes. Yeah. that transformed into the bird Which and was the, phenomenal yeah right? another that, cool like another really how do you cool have a transformer attack. inside a transformer well and one that's operational yeah as well um because like, it operated like a cassette tape yeah i mean <laughs> it couldn't play anything but you could take it in and out like a boom box yeah. that's what it was it was a boom box yeah. and it was awesome like the toys they created were incredible and then they went through a couple of iterations of the tv cartoon Beast so they, Wars. Yeah, they did and, Beast Wars. Well, because the, the trouble is, when they made the first Transformers movie, they did the unspeakable. They killed Optimus Prime. Yeah. In the first 20 minutes. <laughs> it like it was part of this big opening scene that they did. It was, oh, big battle, da-da-da, and everybody's really psyched, and then Optimus dies, and then you have an hour more of movie. It was just like, what just happened? <laughs> it was... One of the worst decisions that they've ever made that's ever been made in television. I don't know because oh, when was. they brought him back, it was pretty epic. They well, they had to though. Well, no, and, yeah, but they, <laughs> they were never going to keep him dead. <laughs> that was undetermined. Uh, they again, this was in the eighties when long term was not what oh, they were working on. Oh, I'm sorry, on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When you said when they made the movie and they killed Optimus. I was thinking Michael Bay. No, not the Michael Bay in the original animated film. Yeah, no, no. Film. I, I had, I just blocked out of my head. Yes, in the original yeah, yeah. No, animated no, no, no. film. In, in the Michael Bay films, yeah. yeah, obviously they weren't going to keep uh, Optimus dead. They, that was a mistake that was made already. Uh, in I the think... 80s, they weren't thinking long-term, and so they thought, well, we want to be able to usher in some of our new characters. We want to be able to have a natural progression of things, so we're killing Optimus. And yeah. it floored everybody in the theater. Yeah. Right. It was something that I mean, kids were so excited for months to go see this movie. And then right away off the hop, they kill the main character. If I'm not mistaken, I saw this in the theater. Yeah. And you see, like, I didn't because it was before my time, but I've seen it. And you see that color drain out of Optimus is like, yeah, what have you done? <laughs> and the fact that they got such huge names oh to be part of it. Yeah. Like Unicron was Orson Welles. Yeah. 
Galvatron oh, was, crazy. Yeah, was, was Leonard crazy Nimoy for God's sake. It was sakes. crazy some of the things they had. In like they just been. He wants. To, who wants to be in the movie? But it was a great example of a company thinking they can do no wrong and being proven real, real wrong, real, real, real wrong. Uh, and they did they fix. Had, they they had did fix it eventually. Back. Yeah. So they did fix it eventually. There were iterations in the TV series afterwards where they were trying to backstep a bit and 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 they did. They tried really hard not to retcon. Right, they tried really hard not to just say, "Okay, yeah, no, that didn't happen." Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> sweep that under the rug and they just move dealt on. Dealt with the problem <laughs> and brought it back around. And they say, "Yeah, we're gonna step through this. We're going to tie it in storyline wise." And I feel like that does lead to a lot of what we see now. But it was absolutely a thought process that didn't cross their mind. Was this is a bad idea? Um, you never, you can never kill Optimus Prime. Not permanently. Anyway. Not permanently. It's not okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to be okay with the Transformers without Optimus. It's just not a thing. Um, but it was based in in business, right? Yeah. It was, we want to clear the way to make new stuff and, and give you more stuff. And doing you this can for definitely you. give people more stuff, but you can't <laughs> yeah. take away you the stuff they love. can't take away the stuff they love, yeah. So, so. that being <laughs> said, I think that kind of wraps it up. You can give them more mm-hmm. stuff, but you can't take away the stuff they love. Wrong. I, I have one more thing, because I'm curious if you know it. Okay, shoot. It's the trivia. Do you know the Transformers' biggest competitor at the time? I'm, because there was a Robot Wars. I'm going to say GoBots. GoBots! Most people don't know about GoBots. And it's by, this weird niche And it thing. really, Trey Way Micronauts was the same way. Micronauts came after, though. Yes, but they were yeah. trying to be a competitor. They yeah. weren't, but they tried. Yeah. Yeah, GoBots were the... GoBots almost took them. Really? Because we always thought GoBots were like the dollar store version of Transformers. Yeah. In the earliest days, GoBots had a fighting chance. Because Uh, they were smaller and easier to transform. They were smaller. They were cheaper. They were easier to transform. They they had a little bit more ease of playability. And they came out with playsets first. Yeah. But Transformers didn't need (laughs) playsets. And so the actual usability and and just joy in transforming things actually took over but in the earliest days it was in question because both of them had a pretty equal market share um but then hasbro did what hasbro does (laughs) and they just made them really cool now to be fair the two theme songs gobots was just below transformers they had a really kicking 80 theme song too Everything in the 80s had a good theme song. There's we not may, a lot of bad ones. We might have to do some more that's, 80s that's stuff. That's got to be a good one. It's going to have to yeah. be some 80s stuff. This is why we're doing this. Is It's exploration. Exactly. <laughs> All <laughs> so right. So That's the final note. That's the final note. We're going to leave it there for this week. <laughs> it's and not as elegant as the other one. <laughs> we'll be bringing it back around and uh, going to the 90s. We're going to be hitting the 90s. Stuff I have real world experience with. And stuff that <laughs> I have stopped playing with because I was being an adult in the 90s. An adult without money. Yeah. which is when you don't get worst. to play with toys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll see you guys next time. Well, that wraps it up for this topic. However, the list of topics is ever-growing. So if you have a show idea or a topic you think we should discuss, please send it to Christian at frugaldutchman.com. Or join us on Facebook, TFDATC. That's the Frugal Dutchman at the counter. So join us once again. We're nerdy isn't dirty. It's a badge of honor. For Christian, I'm Marcus. For Marcus, I'm Christian. And we'll see you at the counter. counter.